I want to start off with a bang this morning and tell you that the American church is dying from within. And she is poisoning herself with a slow, unrealized death. And I'm not talking about the numbers, though the numbers in the American church are dwindling. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what the poison is. The poison is this. The church has begun to exist for herself. The goal is no longer to build the kingdom of God, but to build the empire of the church. And the church, the American church, we've gotten pretty sly about it. We realize that nobody would want to come to a church that's selfish, and so we disguise our selfishness with selflessness so that people will come. And I told this story a few weeks ago, and I'm going to tell it again because I think it's going to help make sense of what I'm saying. Long before the Grove was started, when, when starting a church was just something that we were flirting with, behind our house there was this path that would lead to this really busy road, and, and I would take this path and kind of have these prayer walks. And I would arrive at this, the, the place where I would see all of these cars just roaring by. And I began praying for the people in the cars. And, you know, that sounds super awesome of me, right? Like, what a guy just praying for all of these cars of these people that they don't even know. Only the problem was it was incredibly sinful and selfish, not because of my words. My words were right. God, bring these people into the church. But my motive, the words behind the words were, God, bring the people in. So I could feel good about myself. So my worth will be lifted up. So I could make a name for myself. And then, right then, when I caught what I was doing, I said, I am not ready at all. In fact, if I led a church with a heart like that, I would kill the church from within. It might have great numbers, but it would die a slow death from within. When I talk to people about the church today, what is clear is that people long for a more excellent kind of church, a true church that doesn't exist for itself, but to bring heaven down to the earth. And you guys, especially those that you have been hurt by the church, you're like, yeah, get him, David. Get that American church. And I'm, I'm a little bit of your hero right now, so in this moment where I have uh, become a small hero in your mind, um, let me say this. Let me tell you something. While you are mad at the church, I think if we really looked within, what we would find, if we really searched ourselves, is that we are maybe just like these churches. We exist for ourselves more than we care to admit. We see others and we measure them on how much they will help us build the kingdom and the empire of our own. If they can help us get ahead, we form friendships. If they will make us appear to be like a little bit better in the world that we live in, well, we form friendships. And then when we think about the church, we expect the church to serve and be gracious when we've done wrong. And it should. That's right. 
But when people mess up, we have a really hard time forgiving them. We expect a lot of grace, but we give little. We expect generosity from the church and its people, but we have little to give. I'm, I'm just wondering if we're expecting more from our churches, but we're not expecting more of ourselves. And so while the church has lost sight of her mission, perhaps we should consider that maybe all of us, all of us in this room have lost sight of the mission, the personal mission that God has put each and every one of us on. Are, are we, like the church, we're poisoning ourselves from within without realizing it's happening? All right, we're in the second week of the series in the book of Acts called Our Hearts Burn Within, and here's the premise. The disciples, God, the, the followers of Jesus, these apostles, they have found the truth, and it's burning within them. This passion is growing, and it's longing to escape like a wildfire and go out and cause this movement to cover all of the earth, no matter what the cost is. Now, I just want to, I just, you need to understand this. Almost all of the disciples all gave their life, even enduring a torturous death because of the truth that they found. And had they not endured those things, Christianity would not be here today. Which doesn't mean that, oh, like, it's, it's, it's only because they were passionate followers. No, they are passionate followers because the truth became a fire within them. So let me read the beginning of the book of Acts. This is where it all started. The movement of Christianity right here. This is Luke, and he's writing to a guy named Theophilus. I dare you to name your son that. In the first book, O Theophilus... I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings and by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Okay, so Jesus has risen and he's hanging around here for 40 days. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, not yet, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Okay, here's like the good stuff. Here we, here we go. And when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, Not that. He said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go. If you don't find and engage in the mission 
that Christ has called you to, you will die a slow death. Now, what I just said is true, but it's not true. Okay? Let me explain what I mean by that. The mission itself, like when you engage in it, it's proof that you have found the truth. And it's raging, like it's just a flame burning in you. And as you go and engage on, in the mission that God has called you to personally, what will happen is you'll say, I can't do this. This is too big for me. So you will be forced to go somewhere to the well, the living water. And there, where you find the living water, you will be nourished and strengthened and then propelled back out into mission. Into your purpose that God has called you to. And so by finding the mission, it reveals that the fire is burning in you. And then by realizing you're not big enough for the mission, you rely on Christ all the more. And then when that happens, you become uh, this person who delights in God. So people who are engaged in mission are the people who are delighting most in God because they're forced to him. And then when they go to him, well, God is God. And so you delight in him. Let me say it another way. If you seek to build your own kingdom, you forfeit Christ. And then you are left with a kingdom that will one day turn to dust. It will become nothing. And then you will wear the crown and you will be called king nothing. All right, so you have a mission. What is the mission? It says to be witnesses. Every Christian has within them a heart that burns to engage in the mission. Now, some of you might be dulling the flame. And you're dulling the flame because you're a bit scared, because you're gonna lose control, because that's what happens when you become a Christian. You lose control, you're right, you will lose control. Christ wants every single bit of you, all of you. And so you're scared to give him all of you, but what you don't realize is until you like lose everything, once you lose everything, then you finally find him the way you're meant to find him. And you realize he has always been a better comfort than anything else that the world has offered me. The mission itself forces you to him who is life. And those who most engage in the mission are those who are going to him the most because they realize they need him. So what does this mean? Like, what does this mean to witness? All right, there's a lot at stake here. To be a witness means you are a citizen of heaven, living on the earth, representing heaven through your actions and your words. Citizen of heaven, living on the earth, representing heaven with your actions and your words. So the question becomes, how does heaven look to the people around you? Like, how does the church look if you're representing the church look to the people around you? Can people peer into heaven through your actions and through your words? Now, some of you are thinking, well, you know, David, like, I like what you're saying. I'm just the kind of person that's better with my actions than I am with my words. Like, I'm better at loving God and loving others, but I can't, like, come up with these, like, eloquent phrases that are going to make people say, oh, God is so amazing and so beautiful and so wonderful. I'd understand what you're saying. The problem is that God has given you the command to be a witness in both action and word. So what do you do about that? 
Well, you can tell the story of your faith. So if you're in a discipleship group, these groups have started or should soon be starting. If you're not starting it sometime soon, you need to talk to your leader. So you, there are these things that we're going to be going through called, uh, well, it was a series that we did called Tell Your Story. And through it, you are going to learn how to tell the story of your faith in four different ways. So the gospel, I mean, it's beautiful. And so the gospel has like these four different lenses that we looked at. And we said, here's how you can tell your story through this lens and through this lens and through this lens. Now, once you write it, I think you're going to find it's not so scary. So I have this reoccurring nightmare that I wake up on Sunday morning and, like, I didn't prepare for what I'm going to say. And I think because I've been thinking about that statement, it happened to me last night. So my dream went something like this, or nightmare, like the manuscript is gone. And I'm looking all over for it frantic. And everybody finds out, and they're like, everybody needs to find David's manuscript. And, like, it's not that big of a deal, but, you know, dreams are weird, so it became this, like, epic quest to find the manuscript. So finally, we find the manuscript, and everything was okay. But what, the reason I tell you that is because when you know what you're going to say, well, you're not so scared anymore. Now, some of you are better with words, but the way that you live might not necessarily represent fully the kingdom of God. Now, you guys always say this to me, David, were you talking to me? And the answer is no, I'm not. I mean, I'm talking to you, but I'm not talking to you personally. So you believe the gospel. You can tell it. You're active on social media about your faith. But your character might not be matching up with your words. You aren't generous with your treasure. You don't serve the people you work with. You are a taker and not a giver. All right, so we see, as witnesses, the church has a problem, right? And so the question, as witnesses, is what are we going to do about it? Are we going to remain part of the problem, or can we become part of the solution? And, I'm, I mean, you can do this. You can be a witness. And so now we ask, where? Where should you be a witness? And it says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So does that mean we should pack our bags and head off to Jerusalem? And the answer is no. That would probably be a bad idea for almost all of you. God has you where you are on purpose. Jerusalem was the starting point of the, the movement. It's the starting point for the disciples. So the question becomes, what is your starting point and what is our starting point? So when we ask us, our starting point, the grove as this living organism, where do we start? Well, Jerusalem is Port St. Lucie for us. Judea is Fort Pierce and Stuart. Samaria is the treasure coast and then to the ends of the earth. My hope is in that in 30 years from now, we will have planted churches all throughout the treasure coast and have raised up leaders who are selfless, who are going off to start new movements all throughout the world. That's our aim, and that should be our aim, because that's what the Bible is saying we should do right here. But then, what about you? Where are you supposed to start? Because if everything I said is true, this is a really big deal. Like, where are you supposed to start engaging in mission? 
well, the closest place to you, which is your home. But I would say even closer, like Jerusalem is the heart of the movement. So start with your heart. And then ask, have I been selfless with my faith? Is your heart consumed with itself? Because we, we become what we are consumed by. Like what we obsess over, we become like. It's a, it's, a very, it's a big theme throughout the Bible. It's called idolatry. Whatever you obsess over, whatever you're thinking about, whatever your mind is upon and imagining all the time, you start to become like that. And so if you are obsessing over yourself and, you're, and we're all sinful, then what that means is we're just reproducing more sin because we're obsessing over ourselves, which is sinful. What we need is to find something so beautiful and glorious that we lose ourselves in it. This is what Jesus means when he says, if you want to find yourself, first lose it. Lose your life. Lose everything. Lose it all. And what is meant by that is once you're finally alone and you have nothing and you discover him, you realize he is everything. And then you find your true self in him. So check your heart. And then move to serve your home. Help your spouse and your children become what you have now become. I've seen a lot of pastors and leaders appear to be amazing servants in the church, but horrible servants in their home. Now, why would that be? Well, it could very well be because the church is being used by leaders to build up their own success, to feel like they've got some worth. And that they don't find that in their home. Wherever your, you know the saying where your, wherever your home is, wherever your heart is, there's your home or the, however it goes. Well, your heart is revealed like in your home. So if you want to know like your heart, look at your home. Not how you serve when everybody's watching, but when you're in your home and no one is watching. So serve your home. And then from there, you move out to your neighborhood and to your workplace. And you look at the people around, and you don't say, like, you don't make them projects. You look at them like, like spiritual beings. Like, these are people who will one day become immortal. So you look at them like that. Or... Or not just your workplace or your neighborhood, but the things that you love to do. Like, if you don't have anything you love to do, then just focus on your workplace. Focus on your neighborhood. But if there's things you passionately love, find other people that are passionate about that, and you could be a witness there. But listen to me about this. You cannot make people a project because they will see through it. And if you are making people a project, it means your love and service isn't authentic. It's not naturally flowing out of you. You're faking it. Now, now that all of you feel like, wow, he's talking about me, um, no one in this room is purely whole and holy in all that they're doing. Which means at some point you're going to be faking it a bit. And you realize that and you recognize it in your heart. 
and you say, okay, I got to get with God to get my heart right because I am not burning with this fire within for the mission that God has called me to out in the world. And if I'm not burning, then there's something going on with me and God. So I need to go get with God and work all of this out. Being a witness becomes as natural as breathing when your heart is pure and right because it's just in you. And there's this angst to get it out. And then, look, once we launch our city groups, like this is going to happen around the summertime, what these groups are is going to be people who are Christians, who are having like a little party with their, everybody that they're friends with. Like, she's excited about it. Um, they're skeptical friends. They're, they're churchless friends. And when we launch this, I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen to you. You're going to start feeling like, wow, this is feeling a little bit too intentional. Like, this is feeling a little bit like fake and phony. And I'm going to tell you something. It is a little bit. And it is a little bit because you haven't been doing it, right? And the person who is naturally like, like these disciples, that they have this thing that's burning in them, they don't have to form these strategies to do things. It's just like a burning passion in them. So the fact that we have to organize the city groups tells us we've got a lot to learn in what it means to follow Jesus. But that's okay. That's good. And so we're going to try. And as we do, God's going to work on us. You can sing like that as he is doing. And once your heart is burning in you, there's a power there. So look at what our verses says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be witnesses. In the beginning of Acts, Jesus isn't sending them out yet. He tells them to wait. Like, it's so funny, there's this, there's this urgency in the Bible, like a real urgency, but then Jesus is like, wait, you're not ready yet. Come on, come to me. The power is waiting to come, as you're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. All right, so, so here's my question to you. If the Holy Spirit has come now, why is there so little power in your life? And what do I mean by power? Well, power is your ability to be a witness in word and character. In other words, why aren't people's lives changing around you just by simply being with them? Like if this power thing is true, that we have this ability, not like we're the one changing people, but God is, but we become a vessel through which God works. Why aren't people in our lives changing around us? So I'm going to give you a few reasons why I think that might be. These are a few things that happen before the Holy Spirit comes. It says, the resurrected Jesus appeared to the disciples and gave them many proofs. Proofs. I think we need to do a better job at facing our doubts as Christians. I think that there are doubts that are plaguing you, that you are pretending like aren't there because you don't want to face them because it terrifies you to look at them. Because when you look at them, then you're going to feel like a phony we don't like feeling like hypocrites and phonies, so we don't look. And what I'm saying is you, what you should do is stare at it and just be all the way honest with God and say, this is who I am. This is where I'm at, and I need your help, God. 
That's where you start. Take everything to him. Stop hiding things from him that he already knows is there and in your heart. You're scared to look, but he's not. And you need to face your doubts with a community of people, your discipleship group. Like your, and like take your doubts and find a book that helps deal with your doubts. And then, so that's the first thing you do is you need the proofs. But second, it says to remember. No, don't leave. It says you remember all throughout the Bible. All throughout the Bible. We are constantly being told to remember because we're forgetful people. It says, God, all right, look. You need people. Like, the people who are angry at the church and have left the church, but they're trying to live out their faith, I don't know how they're doing it. I can't do it alone. And I'm, so, I'm like the quote-unquote leader, but what, I, what I'm saying is I don't know how people could do this alone. So I think we need people. We need people to remember who God is and what he's done for us. And then power comes when you remember. And then look, look, power comes when you realize where he is right now. Let me tell you where he is, where Jesus is right now. Because the disciples saw him go and they're like, no, don't go. And Jesus is like, no, it's better that I go. So right now he is ruling and he is reigning. And, and from there, there is not one thing that isn't happening in your life that he isn't aware of. And he isn't somehow working out for your good. You need to hear that. And then, so, so here's what that means. When you are facing difficulties, when you are facing pain and suffering, when the weight of the world feels like it's on you, that's when you have the most power for witness. God has not orchestrated these things on accident. He's up to something. And if your faith can shine and you could just trust that somehow God is good in the middle of all of that, there will be power in your actions and in your words. And one day it says he will return. And like the disciples see him go and they're like wondering when's he coming back and then the witnesses are like, well, stop looking. And so here's what's going on. You know, when people say, people say to me when they found out I'm a pastor, especially if they got a church background, they're like, hey, are we in the end times? Is he here? And I say two things usually. If, well, sometimes I say something like witty and kind of annoying, but the two, the two things I kind of go with are first, yes, we are. Because Paul says we're in the last days. And Paul wrote that we were in the last days 2,000 years ago. And what he means by that is that there is this new pattern about the way the world works. And it will always feel like we are in the last days because we are. There's things happening around you. Like there's patterns repeating themselves. Because we are in the last days. Second, I don't really say this because it's kind of like, it is kind of like, like annoying, but the, the, these two witnesses say, stop gazing up into the heavens. And what they mean by that is you've got work to do. 
It's, it, there's a hint right there in it. Like, to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus will not return until all the earth has been covered with his word. Until everybody knows, every nook and cranny. So that means that there is work to be done across the world, and there's work to be done right here. The nook and crannies here, and the nook and crannies across the earth. And he will not return until all this has been done. And the church is called to be the one that ushers him in. Despite all of the flaws of the church, the church is God's strategy to change the world. The church is God's people on mission together. Sinful, broken, rebel-hearted people that God has called, set apart as holy to be on mission together. People have, who have been plucked up out of these, like, this life of just like, God, I want nothing to do with you, to God saying, no, you're mine, and you'll be mine forever and always. And they see his grace, they see his love, they see his mercy, they see his glory, and they're forever changed by it. And they can't help but have this burning passion within them to let the world around them know that this is real, and this is true, and this is not some fairy tale, but it is the myth that has become fact. That's the church. Not perfect people, but people who are imperfect sinners pointing them to the one, pointing the world around them to the one who is perfect. Who has come for imperfect people to fight for them, to love them. That is Jesus. He's the head of the church. And Jesus, our king, will not let his bride, the church, die. Jesus' mission was to come and die for the church, to make the church come alive, to set it apart as holy so the church with him might change the world. Jesus' mission was to come and die in your place, to live in your place. And he's risen. And that means the same power, the same fire that was kindled in the grave that broke him out, that same fire lives in you, that same power lives in you. And not only that, he is now ruling and reigning in heaven. And there, look, as the king who has commissioned you out for a mission, you're carrying the flag of Christ. And that means there is authority and there is power in you. Because you go in his name. And he will return. And make all things right and that gives you hope, and hope is powerful. Hope is powerful. Love is powerful. That's what he's given you. And he's waiting now, waiting to return, waiting for you and me, all of us, to rise up and be his witnesses in the earth to those who've never heard of him. But until then, until he returns, we are on mission together. Let's pray. Father, we need your, we need you. We need you to kindle this fire in us, the burning flame, so we might 
speak with tongues of fire that will change the world. So our actions might represent heaven. God, you know what we are up to in our hearts. You know what we are up to when we are alone in our homes and when we are, we are chasing all the wrong things and you see us and you love us still. And you fight for us to have a life that is good and well-lived for our joy and for your glory. So give us hope as we wait for your return and help us fight for you as you fought for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at Grove Church PSL, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.